On today's episode of The Sword and Trial, it's my privilege to interview Marcus Schrader. Uh, You may have heard of Marcus. He was arrested just a week or so ago for reading the Bible on a public sidewalk in Watertown, Wisconsin. Well, Marcus is a student at the Institute of Public Theology. IOPT is something that founders started two years ago, and he has just completed his first year. And so I had the opportunity of talking to him about what happened and then his own understanding, the way he's been discipled to think about his Christian life and stewarding the gospel that God's entrusted to him and why he chose IOPT, what he's been learning at the Institute of Public Theology uh, as he spent this last year in coursework. So you'll want to tune in and listen to this conversation, share it with others. And uh, we want to thank our Founders Alliance members and those who have invested in the Institute of Public Theology because it is through their faithful contributions that we are able to do what we do here at Founders and IOPT. Welcome to The Sword and Trowel. The Sword and Trowel is a podcast of Founders Ministries, and Founders exist for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of local churches. And I'm Tom Askell. Delighted that you would join us today for this special opportunity we have on the Sword and Trial podcast today to sit down and talk with Marcus Schrader that you probably have heard of over the last week or so because of things that happened in Watertown, Wisconsin back on July the 29th, 2023, that Saturday when he was arrested as he was reading the Bible on a public sidewalk. Marcus is a student at the Institute of Public Theology. He's just completed his first year or is is completing his first year of studies and Marcus is joining us from his home in Watertown so brother thank you for being a part of the sword and trial today thank you for having me yeah so I guess the last uh, eight or ten days of your life have been quite a bit different than the previous uh, eight or ten days or months or years of your life would that be a fair statement yes yes for sure yeah so uh, tell us about what happened on that Saturday out in uh, your town, uh, Watertown, Wisconsin, when uh, you were arrested because I mean, you're, you're 19 years old, right? Yes. Never been no. arrested before? No. Not a part of any gangs, you know, you hadn't protested anything by burning a building down or, or robbed a bank or anything like that. You, you were reading the Bible. Right. Yeah, so tell yeah. us about it. Give us the setup, um, uh, what actually happened, and then and why were you there? Yeah, um, I live so I live in Waukesha. Watertown's about um, forty minutes from me, and so okay. we we go out to different events like this. Um, our group, our ministry group, uh, we've um, done this for quite a while, and you know we used to do a lot with abortion ministry, go out to the abortion clinics, and then when Roe was overturned, uh, the abortion clinics were actually shut down in Wisconsin. And, and so we kind of redirected a lot of our focus towards um, drag queen story hours. Mm-hmm. And what we, something that we found that's interesting is, you know, there are all these like clinic escorts and people who work for the abortion clinic um, who would be like working for the abortion clinic to make sure that we don't talk to the women. We don't get a chance to talk to the mothers going in. And once we started to go to these drag queen story hours, those same people that we knew from the abortion mm-hmm. clinic were, at these drag queen story hours to do the exact same job, make sure that we don't talk to the parents or the children as they go into the drag queen. So it's, you know, if they can't get them in the womb, they try to get them, you know, shortly thereafter. Mm. And so, um, yeah, so it's just, I I guess the reason why we do it is, I mean, scripturally, God tells us love our neighbor as ourselves. These are our neighbors, these children. Um, 
both in the womb and out of the womb. And so, you know, the, their minds ought to be protected. And uh, we've seen an increasing uh, fight for the children in our country where mm. the this LGBTQ agenda is um, increasingly trying to uh, take their minds and kind of be able to get these children for themselves, pervert their minds, um, you know, groom them, bring them into this, this sexual um, licentiousness. And, and so, yeah, that's, that's, that's the reason why we go out to these different events. Watertown, we heard that there was going to be a drag queen story hour. So we just kind of did our normal thing. We sent out a text to our group chat, um, said, Hey, this is going on. So we, we planned some stuff out. And, and what's interesting about this Watertown drag queen story hour is, I mean, I, so I, I've been going to these things for probably about two years now, and you can see a cultural transformation, even the way these things have been held in the last two years. Mm. Uh, two years ago, there were story hours where, you know, a, a, a man dressed as a woman, and you could pretty much tell he was a man very clearly, and he, he would just sit down and read some stories to the kids. Um, now it's becoming more and more, first of all, it's harder and harder to tell that they're actually even men. Mm. And then also they're dressing more and more modestly. And then these, these story hours are really turning into dance hours. And so at this Watertown event, they had a story hour in the morning that probably lasted like 20 to 30 minutes. But then they had two dance hours, like kids dance with the drag queen hours um, in the afternoon. And both of those were probably 30, 40 minutes long. And they had two of them. And so, you know, it's advertised as like a drag queen story hour kind of event, but it's, you know, more and more, it's turning into drag queen dance hours, these drag queens dressed in lingerie. And we're watching this before our eyes um, as this is happening in the public park, as these drag queens uh, dressed in lingerie uh, were dancing um, in very sexually suggestive ways before the children, you know, the children are even giving dollar bills to the drag queens. It, it was really being run like a strip show mm-hmm. and this is happening in a public park i think 70 percent of the police force was there that day from the from the city is what i heard and so um obviously our group there, there are laws on the books that very clearly outlaw what the drug queens were doing mm-hmm. uh we took those laws to the the officers said uh look we'd like to file a complaint about what the drug queens are doing we we tried doing anything to bring these laws to the the police, their attention, um, you know, even the sergeants and the chief of the police who, who were out there that day and, and they wouldn't do anything about it. Mm. And so, you know, they, they said, no, it's a, it's a, it's an event that they rented the park for. They have the right to be here. And the officers were watching the same things we were watching. It's not like, it's not like the, the officers were unaware of what was going on, but, but yet they, they, they were really negligent in their duty to not uphold the law that was there. Yeah. So, yes, that, that, that's what happened. Sorry, go ahead. No, no, well, you're exactly right. I, I, and I, I looked up the uh, Wisconsin statute and read it a while back after all these things broke. And it's very clear. It's very explicit that you cannot sexualize children. You, you can't mm-hmm. sexually try to lead them into uh, sexual activity uh, for your own pleasure or, or for their pleasure. And uh, that's... That's bothersome that you have a law like that, a good law on the books, that the police officers, you say you, you actually tried to get them to enforce that law, your group did, is that correct? Yes, yeah, all of us. Um, I did, it was constantly brought up to them, and then one of the guys in our group actually tried filing like an official complaint about it. Uh-huh. And what he was told essentially was he can't file a complaint because those aren't his children. 
which of course doesn't make sense. If you see a child being abused in the street, you don't have to have it be your child in order to file a complaint. So where did he try to file the complaint? Uh, to the chief of police. He was there at the park that day. I, so. so I would guess that the chief of police can't tell you simply, oh, you can't file a complaint, that you could still do it. Is he still going to pursue that? Um, I'm not sure exactly uh, what we're going to do. That's something that we're probably, you know, different. Yeah. There are probably quite a few different legal sure. paths we could take with this. And so we're probably waiting a little bit to talk to some lawyers, see what the best idea is, best yeah. path to take. We want to invite you to join us for our National Founders Conference coming up this January 2024. That's January 18th through the 20th. And the theme of this conference is going to be Remember Jesus Christ. This uh, entire conference devoted to the doctrine of Christ. Uh, Tom Askell will be speaking along with Conrad Mbewe, Joel Beakey, Phil Johnson, Travis Allen. And we're also announcing this week that Paul Washer will be joining us as one of our keynote speakers as well. So we'd love to have you here, sunny southwest Florida in the middle of winter. So go to founders.org slash conference in order to register. So Marcus, one of the things that I am so appreciative of your, uh, your simple, straightforward, humble, bold declarations on as I've listened to you and, and read comments that you've made and watched the videotapes that have gone viral over uh, what happened that day is that th- this is not something that was extraordinary. For you, this is not something that you woke up Saturday morning and said, "Hey, man, I'm going to go make news. You know, I'm going to go do so. I'm going to go get arrested today." Uh, this was part of your life. This is part of the way you think. Uh, children are being sexualized in a community near you, and we know what happens when when children are, are abused in that way. And you went to speak. You went to try to protest that in a, a legitimate way that this nation still thus far allows us to do it's written into our constitution we have the right to do this and which our christian convictions would lead us to do if we can do it in the the simple straightforward way that is not um, criminal in any way not sinful in any way so this was a normal thing that you had been discipled into thinking and that's a testimony to your parents it's a testimony to your church so tell us a little bit about that i mean you you, you've come to your convictions in a context where you've been schooled in the Word of God with an understanding that, yeah, this is a right and good thing to do. Can you give us a little bit of background about maybe you know, the way your folks have raised you and helped you to think through these things and the way your church has done that as well? Yeah, so I, th- I think um, a lot of times people can be scared or um, some Christians even kind of turned off by an idea of public square ministry or street evangelism and things like that. Um, most of the times, because you know, like you hear street preacher, there's a kind of a stereotypical uh, view you get of someone in your mind. Now, now typically that stereotypical view is something I've um, run into quite a bit is when we do run into people who are that, you know, that harsh guy who, um, you know, it, it just isn't articulate. He's, he's like, you know, just not presenting himself well, yelling at people on the street, that, that kind of guy. When, typically what I found is that we meet someone like that, they're not connected to a local church. They're mm-hmm. not doing it under the authority of a local church. And so they don't have that, um, you know, that mentorship or that, you know, that ability to find that balance. Uh, many times, you know, it's just young guys 
without a family, without, you know, any good relationships in their life, just kind of running out on their own, doing that kind of thing. Um, but the, the times when I see people connected to a local church, doing it under the leadership of their pastors and, you know, and they have strong families there, um, they've got good relationships, things like that. Um, it, it, it's something when you, when you see that kind of thing in, in the public square, it's something that's really the continuation of what the apostles were doing in the book of Acts. Uh, Christians you know, have this idea in America, American Christians have this idea that it's, it's not loving or it's just going to turn people off and that it's not an effective way of spreading the gospel. What's interesting about that is like if you just read the book of Acts and the kind of ministry that the apostles did and what they did in the public square to proclaim the gospel and even have debates in the synagogues and, and with philosophers and, and before the magistrates and things like that, if it if that's not an effective way to spread Christianity, then um, you know we wouldn't be here today. Yeah. And Christianity has spread all across the world, and and you know, what they did in the first century was extremely effective in spreading Christianity to the point that you know Acts seventeen says you know those who have turned the entire world upside down have come here also. That was said of them when they would come into a city. Um, because they were declaring another king, one called Jesus. And so I guess it's just the the mindset that um, we need to adopt as Christians and start adopting, especially in these these times as the times get darker, is that the light of Christ shouldn't be hid inside the four walls of our church building. It shouldn't be hid under a bushel. It needs to be taken to the darkest place in the culture. And it, it, that's where it shines the brightest. That's where we need to take that light and um, it, it's a scary thing to do so. And I think a lot of times, a lot of the excuses that are made and um, even some of the theological reasons that are given a lot of times um, seem to be a covering for uh, not wanting to do that, being afraid of doing that and uh, a covering for fear. And so uh, something that we need to realize is that if, if we're truly supposed to have died with Christ, then we're not we're no longer living for ourselves we should not fear a man who can only harm the body but we should fear god who can um cast both, both body and soul into hell and so if, if we really have a fear of god and are not working based off of the fear of man then really the our love for god and our love for neighbor ought to drive us to those places it ought to drive us out into the public square because if most of those people are never going to come to church they're not going to hear the gospel because you invited them to a church potluck. The only way they're going to have interaction with Christians and Christianity is if you actually go out to them. Um, we can't expect them to come to us. And so I guess that's some of the the mindset, the, the thinking that um, my family and my church holds. And, um, you know, just, just the idea, I think it's Isaiah 50. I might be quoting that wrong, but I, I, it's, it's somewhere in there where it talks about that justice is not done in uh, the public square because truth has stumbled in the street. Yep. And so it's that, it's that declaration of truth that the prophets before us did and the apostles before us did and, and even Christian missionaries. You know, you see Christians go into dark cultures. They didn't set up a church building and invite everybody from the culture to come to this place. Many times they'd go to like a cannibalistic tribe or something like that. They would go to the place where they were practicing cannibalism and, and actively stop the cannibals and then preach the gospel to them. Um, and, and that was the kind of brave, um, undeterred, courageous 
moves and acts of faith that Christians before us had done. And we always read their biographies and, and think that we would like to be those Christians. Um, but, but we have dark things in our culture today. And if, if we're not faithful in these little things, then we most certainly wouldn't be faithful in those, those larger, harder things. Yeah, that's exactly right. Well put as well. And uh, I think sometimes here in the United States of America, we forget what it costs to get us what we have today. You know, we've lived off the largesse of revival and of faithful men and women who've gone before us in generations past. And it's been pretty easy, you know, up until recent decades to be Christians in America. And as we've shifted more and more into an antagonistic world against Christianity in our own cultural context, uh, there's a, a level of intimidation that can come with that that can cause you to forget the very things you just said. No, uh, our gospel is for the whole world. Christ is Lord over the whole world. There's not any place that's off limits to the Lordship of Christ. And we who know him should go and declare his Lordship and, and do that as lovingly, as faithfully as we can. But know that being loving in those circumstances could result in your head coming off your shoulders as it did for the Apostle Paul and as we have seen with martyrs that have gone before us throughout the ages. So one of the concerns that I have personally, one of the concerns we have at the Institute of Public Theology is to help folks take advantage of the opportunities that we still have in this country. We're not limited to the United States by any stretch of the imagination, but we have freedoms here, and those freedoms have been recognized as coming from God and they have been codified in the Constitution of the United States. And so we those constitutional freedoms are something that followers of Jesus should not quickly give up, uh, including standing on a public sidewalk and reading the Bible or standing outside of an abortion mill and pleading with people to consider what it is that they're contemplating doing, what goes on inside those walls, or trying to speak up for children who would be sexualized and groomed into a life of sexual abuse and perversion. And that should be common among Christians today in America, but it's not. That is seen as exceptional. Sometimes it seem, seems to uh, certain um, evangelical leaders, I've heard speak this way, that that's just being belligerent. You know, it's uh, going out to pick a fight. You're, you're ca- causing... Uh, the name of Christ to be besmirched because, you know, Christians shouldn't be arrested. And just what you said earlier, I think, is the response we need to give is, have you even read the Bible? You know, have you, have you read the book of Acts? <laughs> have you read church history? So, man, I, I'm delighted that God's given you this mentality and, and this has discipled you in this way through your church and family. And it's what we need more of. I want to encourage you to take a close look at the Institute of Public Theology. Uh, Marcus Schrader, who we're hearing from today on the Sword and Trowel, is one of our students at IOPT. Uh, A little over two and a half, three years ago, God put a burden on my heart to see this type of theological education 
being available for the rising generation of church leaders. And through my friendship with Vody Balkum and Tom Nettles, the three of us started IOPT with a view to seeing Christ's lordship above all things being taught in every class. And so from the beginning, one of my deep convictions has been that we would have men teaching at IOPT who not only have conviction, but who have blood mixed with their convictions. Through the generosity of one of our donors, we are able to, at this time, provide tuition at no cost if a church will invest in a person who is becoming one of our students. So if your church is willing to invest by paying half of your tuition, IOPT will pay the other half of your tuition, and you can actually take courses for free. Imagine that, taking tuition-free courses from men like Tom Nettles and Vody Balkum and Ben Dunson and Richard Barcellus and Mark Coppinger and Jim Scott Ork and uh, David Schrock, and the, the list just goes on and on and on. We just completed a course with Carl Truman. So I encourage you to go to instituteofpublictheology.org, check it out. Uh, if we can help you in any way, answer any questions, don't hesitate to reach out to us. If you're looking for an institution, a theological institution, to invest in for the future, I cannot recommend anything above IOPT. Tell us a little bit about what you know, what your aspirations are, what are you hoping for the future? What's your goals and, and where do you hope to be in five years or so? Yeah. Um, so I've, I, I guess my, my long-term goal is I'd like to go into pastoral ministry. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's where I found myself at the Institute of Public Theology, um, came down there and visited, I think uh, a year and a half ago now, two yeah. years ago, maybe. Mm-hmm. And um, talked with you and, you know, it just seems like, like our visions, my, my vision for what I, what I want to go into, um, and the kind of pastoral ministry I want to be trained in was the way that IOPT was being run with this idea that, um, Christ is Lord over all. And there's no aspect of this culture or this world that, um, you know, as Abraham Kuyper said, Christ who is sovereign over all does not cry mine. And so those, those thoughts, is, is something that you don't see a lot of in American Christianity anymore. Um, you used to see it a lot back in the days of the Puritans and and um, back, you know, with with a lot of the, the Christians who went before us. Um, that, that was a lot of their mindset, but we've kind of lost that a lot. And so, um, you know, I've appreciated that mindset with the Institute of Public Theology. And so that's um, where I find myself now is to try and, um, you know, be continue to grow in my faith and be discipled by older men of the faith, um, both in my church, um, at the Institute as I learn, um, and, and just be able to, uh, learn what it takes to actually be a good leader, to, to be able to take up that mantle of responsibility to actually lead the people of God into the battle, this, yeah. this spiritual battle that we're in. Amen. And so, yeah. yeah. So, the, so those are my, that's my, um, a little bit of a long, longer term vision. And then, you know, for now, just being faithful to Christ in, in this ministry, um, you know, I've had different 
speaking engagements and things like that, but also just, you know, running different workshops and, and conferences and um, bringing young people from different churches to these places to teach them apologetics, show them how can we actually grow in our faith? How can we, how can we actually be public about our faith and take that faith and, and not just talk about it in Bible studies in basements, but actually take that out to the public square. And so, you know, we've, we've, our Warriors for Christ group, which is, our group of young people that do this ministry. We've had two conferences now that have both been very successful and, and our group has continued to grow, um, you know, over the last year. And so um, just, just being able to encourage others in other local churches about being bold and public about their faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And uh, so tell me, how are your studies going in IOPT? Tell, uh, You've had a, a year's worth of study, so how's, and you're still in it. I think you're still taking a Hebrew class right now, isn't that right? Yes. Yeah, so how's it been for you so far? I've enjoyed it, yes. Um, I've learned a lot. I, I really enjoyed the, the political theology class and then also the biblical hermeneutics class. That one was um, really good because I think a lot of times we don't think about um, the way that we ought to interpret Scripture. And... Um, I mean, uh, Christianity has really become very passive, even on Sunday mornings where, you know, it's, it's inspirational speeches and we're there to be inspired or to take away a little nugget. And we, and we don't think deeply about, you know, what, what are the ways that we interpret the Old Testament? How does that apply to, um, you know, our Christology and, and the New Testament? And how do these things wrap in and, and you know, talking about the covenants and things like that? And, and so, you know, I, I did really enjoy the biblical hermeneutics class because that's not something that's talked about a ton. And so um, something to expand your, your thinking there and, and just being able to read good books um, older books from from older men and then also some newer books yeah. and and you know just just be able to expand your mindset of what what does Christian thinking look like applied to these different realms of of thought and life and so yeah I've, I've, I don't think there's a single class that I haven't enjoyed or, or learned something from so wonderful yeah those uh those God's just blessed us with great professors great courses and Ben Dunson who taught the political theology course I was blessed by that as well and uh, Richard Barcellus who taught the hermeneutics course that you're referring to uh, man I'm I'm grateful that we have these courses we have these professors I'm grateful that we have students like you also that are catching the vision of what's going to be needed for this this next generation of Christian leadership in churches because it's going to require fortitude it's going to require conviction that is going to be willing to be mixed with blood. And one of the things that I've been saying from the beginning when we founded the Institute of Public Theology is that we want men teaching who have not only conviction, but who have blood mixed with their convictions. And uh, those guys that I just referred to, certainly it's true of them. It's true for all the men that are teaching. And I'm glad that you're a part of that, man. I want to encourage you any way I can. So uh, don't neglect your Hebrew studies in the midst of all of the the hectic (laughs) uh, aftermath of what happened a couple of weeks ago. I know you won't. And if we can help you personally, don't hesitate to reach out for that as well. 
Okay. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, Marcus Schrader, delighted to have an opportunity to talk to you here on the Sword and Trial. Look forward to seeing you again when you get back down uh, for the next course. So th- thanks for your stand. Uh, thanks for handling and stewarding well uh, what all has happened to you that you didn't plan, you didn't ask for, but this is what God's done. And uh, you're a steward of all of that. And we are praying for you and countless others are praying for you as well. So, brother, uh, stand firm. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today on The Sword and Trial. If you have enjoyed this episode, please share it with others. We want to thank our Founders Alliance members who, by their generous contributions, make this type of ministry available through Founders and IOPT. Why are we here? What is the most important thing in the world? One of our greatest problems is forgetting. We, we forget what God has done for us. We forget what God has taught us. We forget things that we have experienced. If we don't pause, if we don't think deeply, if we aren't reminded again and again and again, we forget. It strikes me pretty significantly in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ. Why in the world would Paul tell a pastor to remember Christ? Well, he's not going to forget that Jesus Christ lived and that Jesus Christ taught, but he's going to forget the significance of Christ. Christ is ultimately our mission. The church is the body of Christ. A church has to focus on the supremacy of Christ because that's why we are the church. Christ is supreme overall. The church's great mission is to preach Christ. We're there to win souls. We're there to advance Christ's kingdom. The problem with the world is not that they don't agree with me. The problem is that they don't bow the knee to Christ. So that's why we're going to gather, to specifically, explicitly focus on the supremacy of Christ, to do our best to remind each other of the centrality of Christ, the beauty of Christ, the glory of Christ. So join us in Fort Myers, Florida, January 18th through 20th, 2024, as we focus on Jesus Christ. I hope to see you there.